Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help, prayer of any kind, or if you give your life to the Lord today, send us an email at church@thecrossing.cc. We would love to hear from you so a member from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. We'd like to welcome you today to The Crossing. Uh, This is the Lord's Day, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, and that we want to share God's Word with us today and celebrate the fact that we are are serving a risen Savior. Today is a a unique day at The Crossing. We have a special guest uh, who, for security reasons, we cannot disclose the person's name or where they minister, uh, but Pastor Randy will be interviewing them live today and in an effort to maintain the security and the anonymity of them, uh, we're going to provide an online word to you. So I'm going to take about 25 minutes or so and share God's word with you, but we are so glad you are here. It's going to be a great day, and we're just just grateful that you've taken time to join us in the worship God. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we will go ahead and share his word. So Father, thank you today for your goodness. Lord God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your loving kindness. Father, we thank you that today we come to the house of God, to your house, Lord, to worship you. Father, we thank you that we come in the light that you have given us. Father, we thank you today that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, we thank you today that as we worship you, we receive your word, we receive truth. Father, you strengthen us and you uphold us by your righteousness Father, we thank you for the entire body of Christ today, worldwide. Father, we thank you for every ear that will hear the word today, that it would strengthen us, renew us, and refresh us in Jesus' name. Father, we give you praise and thank you today. Amen. Amen. Well, so glad you guys are here today. The word that we're going to share today is, uh, first of all, found in 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verses 18 through 19, but I'd like to entitle this message, Gatekeepers, Gatekeepers. I would hope that this message, above all things, is a message of hope and a message of direction. Regardless of where you are personally today, uh, perhaps you've believed in Jesus Christ for many years. Perhaps you're a new believer. Perhaps you're at a place where you're saying, I don't really know where I'm at, Lenny. I, I'm struggling with faith. I'm searching for something. So regardless of where you are today, this is a message that will help us, help you to understand how in the context of living for Christ or searching for what is going to give you peace or hope or, or faith, how we can be overcomers. What is it we can do that'll give us hope, that'll give us direction, that'll sustain us in our walk. And so that's why I've entitled this message, Gatekeepers. And I'll give you some further explanations in a minute. But the scripture reads in 2 Chronicles 23, 18 through 19 as follows. Also, Jehodiah appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was established by David. 
And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who in any way was unclean or undesirable or threatening should enter the house of the Lord. So to better understand why I chose that scripture today, uh, let's just think for a minute about who a gatekeeper is, what they do, and why this is so important throughout the context of scripture. So I think many times, I guess in my own house where I live, we have three gates in our yard. Uh, One works really well. The other one works really well. And the third one, uh, when it rains, it swells up. When it gets dry outside uh, and the environment is arid, it gets real loose. It's very temperamental. Sometimes I have to push it really hard. Sometimes I have to lift it up to open it because it swells and, and catches on the other latch and against the, the post. And so it's a very temperamental gate. But either way, whether that gate is functioning or not, that gate still allows me access to my home and it allows entrance into the house. Or it can prevent somebody or something from coming in to my backyard. And so the, the better that gate functions, if that gate is functioning well, then it's going to be much more uh, secure and it's going to be much more uh, effective at fulfilling its design purpose. So gates, obviously, are important. That's just a simple, simple illustration. Uh, when you fly on an airplane, of course, TSA is there to check luggage and to ensure the safety of passengers on the planes. So they, that is a gatekeeper. TSA, in a sense, is a gatekeeper to provide security for the airlines and to allow people access and to deny access. So we see that the gate, a gate, whether it's a gate to my home, a gate to a subdivision, uh, whether it's the front door of my house that is locked, those are all examples of gates. Gates allow access or they deny access. So in the Old Testament, the gatekeeper was the individual who was assigned responsibility for a specific gate, whether it was in a city, a fortified uh, fortress, or perhaps even the temple of the Lord, the sanctuary, There were gatekeepers assigned who allowed entrance into the city or denied access. The gatekeeper had a great responsibility because in the middle of the night, if they fell and were negligent in their duties, the city could be uh, overtaken by an intruder or by an imposter or by an invader or an enemy faction. So the role of the gatekeeper was critical in the security and the well-being of the city. The gatekeepers throughout Scripture, obviously, were positioned at the gate. And, of course, if enemies were approaching uh, or visitors were approaching a caravan, obviously it was their job to discern the legitimacy of that visitor. Now, in the ancient times in Israel, the gates of a city or the gates of a fortress, specifically the gates of a city, they were the center of commerce. That's where all the caravans, all the the semi-trucks, if you would, uh, the vendors drove into the city through the gate. So commerce was extended and carried on at the site of the gate. In addition to that, uh, politicians 
and city councilmen, if you would, would meet at the gates, and there they would have their discourse. They would make decisions about society, about the laws, about uh, policy, if you will, in the city at that time. And also, because of the nature of the cities, the gates were also the place where judgment was also given, uh, where decisions were made on a corporate and public level, and there was just discourse. That was the center our central point in the city where everybody entered and exited. It was the main artery. So you can see that the gatekeepers who were specifically assigned to those tasks, fulfilling their roles was paramount to the security of the city. So to better understand this, let me just give us an illustration of gatekeepers Uh, beginning in Genesis, because if we read throughout the Old Testament, we can see that the Lord, God, through his word, put an incredible emphasis on gatekeepers. We don't oftentimes think about that. I know in my house, I am the official um, gatekeeper of the door. For example, if a fly comes into our house or a mosquito comes into our house, a terror will typically say, hey, Lenny, why'd you let that in? Or I can't believe these bugs are in the house because it's like my responsibility to be the gatekeeper to keep insects out, right? So we all have a responsibility. That's a really silly example. But if a bug comes in and is flying around the home, obviously the gatekeeper, me, fell short of fulfilling my obligation. Likewise, if there's no bugs flying in the air, if there's no flies in the room, no mosquitoes, then obviously the gatekeeper, me, have done a good job because I've kept uh, the, the, the bugs, the flying insects, out of the house. It's up to the gatekeeper to maintain the integrity of the city, the security of the city. And even as far as the tabernacle goes, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in the book of Genesis, when we think about the gatekeeper, the Lord created Adam, breathed in him the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. And the Lord said to Adam, as written in the first chapter of Genesis, that I've put you in the garden to keep it and to guard it. That was Adam's role. He was God's son. He was living in the presence of God. He was living in the fullness of God's presence. But God had chosen him, ordained him, and instructed him to guard and keep the garden. So the garden was the city, so to speak, and it was Adam's job to guard it. Of course, as you know, later on in the book of Genesis, as written in the third chapter, God had previously commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit on the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat that, he said, you shall surely die. And of course, as we know, Eve was tempted by Satan, the serpent, and he responded to her hearing, first of all, by saying, surely God did not say you cannot eat that. And then he replied, this is a beautiful piece of fruit. You can look at it with your eyes. Surely it will not hurt you. And then he deceived her and persuaded her to swallow the fruit, to eat the fruit. And she spoke with her mouth, "Uh, truly now we shall be as gods knowing good from evil. So the enemy broke into the garden. The gatekeeper, Adam, allowed that because his job was to guard the garden. The enemy comes in and he persuades, he deceives Eve through her hearing, through her eyes, and also through the speech that he persuaded her 
to speak. So as a result, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, clothed with skins, and the scripture says that the angel of the Lord was placed at the east end of the garden to prevent anybody from entering back in, another instance of a gatekeeper. But throughout the scripture, not only is the gatekeeper referenced symbolically in Genesis 3, but beginning in the book of Numbers, all the way through Chronicles and Kings, there's references to gatekeepers, which I want to share briefly because the importance of the gatekeeper in our own life is so critical. And we'll elaborate upon that a little bit more in a moment. But in Numbers, the 25th chapter, Phineas was a priest over the tabernacle in the wilderness. And when the Israelites committed fornication and harlotry, the scripture says, with the Moabites before they crossed over the Jordan, some of the Israelite men married, um, hooked up with, for lack of a better word, with Moabite women. One of the men who did that, his name was Corbis, and the Moabite woman who he associated himself with, her name was Zur, and they met outside the sanctuary in the wilderness, the tabernacle, and Phineas, being a gatekeeper, being in charge of the entrance to the tabernacle, saw that this Israelite who had defiled Israel, had broken the commands of God because he committed idolatry, because he established a relationship with a non-Israelite, the scripture says that the zealousness of the Lord rose up in him. And he took a javelin and he thrust it through the bodies of Corbiz and his mistress, the Moabite woman, Zur. And the scripture says that the Lord vindicated, forgave, um, covered up the iniquity of the Israelites because Phineas the priest had taken vengeance upon the adulterous uh, Israelite man who had boasted about this relationship with this Moabite woman. The point was, Phineas, as far back as Numbers 25, where we had a tabernacle in the wilderness, is an example of a gatekeeper who was working to maintain the integrity, the righteousness, the holiness of the tabernacle. His job was to prevent anything that was obscene, unclean, that was contrary to the commandments of Moses, as given by Yahweh, to prevent that from polluting or corrupting the holy tabernacle of God. A little bit later on in the book of First Chronicles, 19, 17 through 30, David and Samuel establishing the covenants of God, reestablishing the ordinances in the tabernacle, are cited as identifying 212 Levites who would serve as singers and gatekeepers in the temple of the Lord. And the scripture says that they were lodged all around the house of God and had responsibility for opening and closing the doors to the tabernacle every day. The work of these men chosen by David and Samuel was to be posted around the tabernacle, which at that time was still not a building, wasn't a temple, it was still a tent. And they were posted on the east, the north, the south, and the west side to prevent anybody from entering into the tabernacle who was unauthorized or in those days, unclean. That was their job. And these were not um, just men of average uh, volition, 
or valor. These were mighty men of God, chosen for their valor, chosen for their integrity, chosen for their faithfulness, chosen because, as the Scripture says, they were men who feared God. And the responsibility that they bore upon themselves as given by David and Samuel was an awesome responsibility. They were to maintain the integrity, the purity, the holiness of the tabernacle of God by disallowing anything to enter into that tabernacle which was not permitted and authorized and sanctified, if you would, by the word of God, permitted by the priest to be allowed entrance into the tabernacle. It was a holy calling, and it was a high calling, and it was the most righteous calling because they were called to maintain the righteousness of that temple. Before the exile, before the Israelites, the Israelites, as we know, eventually through a series of uh, idolatry uh, and different kings that served after David and Solomon, several of which were righteous and followed the ways of the Lord, several of which were unrighteous and fell into the ways of idolatry, So the practice of the gatekeepers, the institution of the gatekeepers, the ordinances in the temple uh, vacillated throughout the years. And each time the Israelites were unfaithful, of course, they lost favor. They were separated from God the Father. And there were many evil kings in in the kingdom of Judah. But one of the righteous kings, Jehodiah, this is before the Israelites were cast into captivity in Babylon, reestablished the oversight of the house of the Lord following the wicked rule of Ahaz, Manasseh, and so forth. And the scripture said that, and he again, to maintain this, this um, just to maintain the, the tradition, to maintain the reverence, to maintain the ordinances which were required to reestablish them. This is before the Israelites went into exile for 70 years. He reestablished the appointment of the gatekeepers, And, of course, it's stated in scriptures that he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean could enter. Of course, after that, the Israelites, as you know, were led into bondage into Babylon because of their unfaithfulness, because of their idolatry. Uh, Hence, the importance of the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers uh, perhaps weren't fulfilling their role, so the nation became idolatrous. Gatekeepers fulfill their role, nation stays righteous. And it's interesting, in these times that we live in, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of upheaval, there's chaos uh, in our world. And of course, the scripture says, as the knowledge of man increases, so the love of many will wax cold. And, and I think there's, there's so many competing factors for our attention and for our, our, our desires and appetites so we can learn from this in the, in the fact that when godly kings reigned in Israel, in Judah, they ensured the prevalence and the authority and the relevancy of the gatekeepers was maintained. When ungodly kings reigned, there were no gatekeepers. So we see the importance of praying for those who are in authority. We see the importance of having godly authority and godly leadership because when godly leadership rules, When righteousness is exalted, a nation thrives. When righteousness was exalted in in Judah, then the gatekeepers and the role of the gatekeepers, their assignments were maintained, and the sanctuary and the cities were kept pure and strong and holy. The Israelites went into exile in Babylon. Seventy years later, they returned. And upon returning, just to 
remind us of the, uh, the consistency of the gatekeepers, the importance of the gatekeepers. Nehemiah, uh, working with Zerubbabel, had the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. We've heard that many times. And in Nehemiah chapter 7, the scripture says that Nehemiah chose 139 men of valor, men who feared the God, and singers of the Levites to secure the sanctuary doors, to secure the gates of Jerusalem. In both cases, there were gatekeepers at that point assigned to the gates in the walls around Jerusalem that had been and were being rebuilt, and there were gatekeepers positioned at the doors of the temple inside the gates of the city. In either event, the scripture states that Nehemiah stated, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem and let them watch the gates of the city. So let me kind of transition here. My point this morning was to establish the importance of the gatekeeper, the person who was established and ordained and assigned to guard the entrance to the tabernacle in the wilderness, later on to the temple in the city of Jerusalem, so that no unauthorized person could enter into the temple, but also the gatekeepers were assigned to guard and protect the gates to the city that were uh, built into the walls. So we see the importance of the gatekeeper, that person who at the very center of activity is monitoring who gets in, who gets out. These gatekeepers were men of valor with a very serious responsibility. So I want to transition for a minute. In the Old Testament, of course, the temple was most sacred. It was the dwelling place of God the Father. God dwelt there. That was his place where his glory would reside. And so the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem were maintained with the utmost degree of integrity and righteousness and holiness. That was God's dwelling place. And in the Old Testament, as you know, the priest would come into the holiest of holies inside the inner center sanctuary, uh, innermost place of the sanctuary once a year on the Day of Atonement to provide atonement for the sins of himself and the people by sprinkling the blood upon the altar, the Day of Atonement. And then throughout the course of the year, if a citizen or inhabitant of the city or Jerusalem, Judea, uh, sinned, they could come to the temple and provide an offering and receive atonement for their sins. But once a year, the high priest would go in to the holiest of holies on the day of atonement. And so the sanctuary and the temple were of the utmost importance. I mean, that was God's dwelling place. And that was where the Lord was teaching his people the importance of atonement through the offering of blood. And of course, as you know, when Jesus died, when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says that he became our high priest. He entered into the holies of holies in heaven once and for all, that by his one sacrifice, never to be offered again, we who were being saved and sanctified were made perfect. So the need for the, the physical temple on earth, the physical sanctuary where the holies of holies was, became obsolete. The Old Testament was a matter of the law. The New Testament becomes a matter of the spirit. 
The Old Testament priests had to go into the sanctuary and provide offerings day upon day upon day, butchering thousands and thousands of animals. And men would, and women would come daily seeking uh, atonement and forgiveness. It was a day by day by day ritual, year after year. But when Jesus entered through the veil in the heavenlies, after dying on the cross, he obliterated the Old Testament. He obliterated the Old Covenant and created a new covenant, a better covenant, a better way. He is the high priest perfected forever that we would need to no longer go in to the holiest of holies in the old sanctuary because he has now gone in before us to provide an eternal one-time offering for the sins of mankind. So why am I making this transition? Because now in the New Testament, now in the New Testament, we no longer have fortified walls around cities. We no longer have fortified walls around the temple of the Lord. We no longer have this tabernacle tent in the wilderness that has to have gatekeepers. Now in the New Testament, because of what Jesus has done, we, we are the temple of the Lord. He is Jehovah Shammah. He is with us. He is Jehovah Tzidkenu. He is our righteousness. He is Jehovah God, and he dwells within us through the Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So why is this important? We are now the temple of the Lord. So the responsibility of the gatekeeper now becomes our responsibility because it's our job, it's our job to now monitor and determine what and who has access into our life, into our spirit. And just as it was in Genesis, when the devil deceived Eve, through the lust of her eyes, the lust of her flesh, the pride of her, her, of her life, he deceived her with her eyes, her ears, and with spoken words. And even today, though now the temple of the Lord it dwells within us, the enemy still uses the same type of deceptive techniques and strategies and temptations to gain access into a most holy place where he is not allowed where he has been cast out. But now he comes as a thief and a robber trying to pervert and corrupt that which God has made holy. It hasn't changed. It's still a temple. It's just now the temple of our heart, praise God. 1 John 2.16 says that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but of the world. So we see that the lust of the flesh, our appetites, our carnal desires, are the cracks in the wall, the cracks in the gate where the enemy tries to get in. So let me make a couple of references and, and then we'll, we'll move on to closing. So we've transitioned from the Old Tabernacle, the Old Testament Tabernacle, to the New Testament Tabernacle. The temple is within us. I want to read a scripture out of Proverbs 4.23, and it is of the most importance but the scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it springs the issues of life. So there's three gates that I, I would like to address today as we, as we talk about guarding the temple of our life. What are the gates that the enemy tries to penetrate, tries to gain access to, an entrance through into our spirit to defile the temple, to corrupt the temple? And the three gates that I'd just simply like to address is the eye gate, the ear gate, and the mouth gate. And sometimes the order may or may not seem important, but as I was thinking about this the other day, because I was going to share the mouth gate, share a little bit about the mouth gate first, but then it occurred to me, the ear gate, the ear gate, what do we allow into our ears? Jesus said when he spoke his word to let it be planted deep into your ears, because what we hear goes into our mind, goes into our heart. And it's interesting, of our five senses, the ears seem to me to be, you know, they're receptive. They receive. And that's kind of all they do. They receive and then transmit into our mind, into our spirit, what they hear. But they're receptors. And just like in the book of Genesis, Eve received the words of the enemy and was deceived. Oh, be careful, little children, what you hear. Kind of an old song we used to sing. But faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God. So I just wanted to contrast that today. What are we listening to? What are the sounds that are penetrating our ears? What are the sounds that we're submitting ourselves to or that we're exposing ourselves to? Are they sounds of faith or sounds of fear? Are they sounds of joy or sounds of pain? Sounds of doubt or sounds of faith? I mean, our ears receive. And what goes into our ears goes deep into our spirit. So who is the gatekeeper today who is guarding your ears? If we hear somebody say something that's coarse, I mean, it kind of goes into our spirit and just, it hurts a little bit. If we hear someone cursing violently, it goes into our ears and it hurts a little bit. If we are addicted to newscasts and listen to negative newscasts all the time, that negativity goes into our spirit. By contrast, if we listen to joyful things, if we listen to, to worship music, for example, if we listen to the, the birds out in our backyard, there's a different response based upon what we allow into our ears. So number one, who is watching the gate to your ear and what are you or are you not allowing in? The second thing I want to address quickly is our eye gate. This is very important because our eyes what we see, again, is registered into our spirit. Remember, as a carnal man, a carnal person, we're subject to uh, the, the impact of how our senses interact with the physical world. To be carnal means, basically, to be motivated, led, influenced by your five senses. So to a degree, we're all carnal because we have to live in this world and interact with our, with our sight and our, our hearing and our speech and our touch and feeling. So that is a battle we have to navigate. But what wins the war? When the temptation comes to the gate, are we responding more through our senses or responding more to the Spirit of God? Who is opening the gate? Is it my senses, my carnal man, or is it the voice of the Lord, the prompting of the Spirit, my conscience, which is opening the gate? 
or by contrast, shutting the gate. So the idea of our eye gate is so critical. Matthew 6.22 reads as follows. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light. The light of the body is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light. If the gatekeeper was indecisive or was double-minded or was a traitor or wasn't really secure in his beliefs or wasn't the man of valor we thought he was, he may be allowing a variety of individuals' entrance into the temple, pure and impure, because he's divided. If his eye wasn't single, if he wasn't resolute, a man of integrity, he may have allowed different people, imposters, robbers, thieves, innocent merchants, deceiving merchants into the city because his eye is divided. But the scripture again says, if your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light. So I would just encourage us today, no matter where you're at, new believer, mature believer, someone who's seeking, the struggles that we deal with are oftentimes related to what we're looking at. What is the lens through which we see things? What are the types of things we're looking at for satisfaction? Uh, Just an example, as you know, the multi-billion dollar industry is the pornography industry. It affects men and women of all ages, all races, all ethnicities. And that's driven by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And yet such a damaging light that is. Social media. We're interrupted, bombarded constantly by the, the signals, the interruptions that we receive from social media. And yet this is, these are things that are so ingrained in our world, it's as if sometimes we've almost grown cold to it. But again, if our eye is single, our whole body shall be full of light. If we're allowing darkness and light to come in through our gates, then there's a mixture. But the role of the gatekeeper is to remain resolute, and to say, my eye is single. So we have to be cautious about what we hear. And what are we allowing ourselves to look at? What is it that we're wanting to become? The scripture says that we're looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Last but not least, that's our mouth gate. The scripture says that a man speaks from the abundance of his heart. The things that we see in here enter into our heart. And the words that come forth from our mouth reflect the state of our heart. The scripture says in Proverbs, as a man speaketh, so is he. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. God created the world by speech. And likewise, we can create, I don't want to say our world, but we can walk in an attitude of righteousness and faith and promise by speaking words that align with God's word, by speaking words of faith and not of fear. The scripture says in Numbers 14, 11, 14, 28, excuse me, this is the Lord speaking. 
As a man speaks into my ears, so shall I do to him. The words of our mouth are like the rudder of a ship, small words that can turn huge ships. The words that we speak to others, edifying or disparaging, hurtful or uplifting, joyous or condemning. The words that we speak are the result of what's inside our heart. And if it's the fruit of the Spirit, then it's going to be a word that is mindful, similar, reflective of what the Holy Spirit is. But if it's a word of darkness, then it's going to be a word of discouragement and hurt and, and pain and condemnation. So, in closing, we've spoken about the gatekeepers today and the importance of their role. We spoke about how that gatekeeper was placed around the city walls and around the, the tabernacle and the temple where the holiest of holy was. We indicated that because of what Jesus did, that the temple is no longer a physical temple. It's been done away with with the old covenant. But now in the new covenant, the temple of God is our heart, is our spirit. We are the temple of God. And there is a wall, a wall of salvation and gates of praise that encompass us. And it's our job to monitor the gates to ensure that no robbers or thieves come in to steal, kill, and destroy the spirit that God has so graciously given us. We are the gatekeepers. And we are the gatekeepers not only for our own spirit, but also for the body of Christ. What are the things that we allow in that corrupt and defile and damage and discourage versus the things that uplift, that strengthen, that edify, that give hope, and that give love? And in closing, I just want to make a little transition. We've talked about things that we cannot let in to this temple. And the way that we can overcome, the way that we can assure ourselves that we are walking victoriously is to reference what Jesus said in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will come in and I will have fellowship with him. We need the voice of Jesus in our heart because when it comes time to, to determine, should I open that gate or should I close that gate? We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our mind. We need the, the fear of the Lord, the word of God to instruct us. Otherwise, we're making determinations on opening or closing that gate based on our own wisdom, on our carnal senses, just like Eve. So today, Jesus is knocking at the door of everyone's heart. Believers, new believers, maybe you're here today and, and you don't know. You've never accepted Christ into your heart. But as I stated when we began, the purpose of this message was to give you hope that there is a way to be profitable. There is a way to be joyful. There is a way to help you feel satisfied, secure in this life. And it's based on who, to a large degree, we do or do not let in. 
But if we let Christ in, then he will guide us. He will give us wisdom. He will give us understanding. He will be the watchman upon the wall of our city saying, hey, gatekeeper, open the door, open the gate. So I want to encourage you guys today, our eye gate, our ear gate, and our mouth gate. Who or what are we allowing access to which enters our spirit? Is it the righteous things or unrighteous things? This is a word of encouragement. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor, heavy laden, I will give you rest. He is there to help us. So I want to give you the opportunity today. If you've never received Christ, this is a great time. Just say, Lord, just come into my heart. So I'd like to close with a prayer and invite you uh, to receive Jesus, just to ask him to give you help. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, we ask that you'd come into our heart today, that you would guard the doors of our heart, that you would cleanse us from any iniquity or sin, shortcomings, and we just receive your presence today. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that you have forgiven us, and we thank you for dwelling in our hearts as our Lord and Savior, our gatekeeper, our shepherd, and our king. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've accepted Christ today, just if you're online, just uh, fill out our online uh, comment, and uh, we'll be glad to pray with you when you fill out the Connect card that's online. And we look forward to, to following up with you in the event you leave a comment on that Connect card that's online. Either way, thank you for joining us today. God bless you. And I uh, hope you have a great day in Christ. And remember, be a gatekeeper and be an overcomer. God bless y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.